Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast. We're back with, with another bonus episode for you. This time we're doing our franchise focus for the Denver Nuggets. We'll first talk about the current team's the direction and outlook. Uh, we'll then talk about a historic team from that franchise's history. And then we'll talk about a player, a notable player from the franchise's history. Uh, could be someone who was an all-time great or someone who was just kind of consistent and important for that team's history. Uh, so with that being said, let's go ahead and dive right into it. Firstly, talking about the current Nuggets and their um, team's outlook, it looks good. I mean, uh, it's hard to say anything else when, you know, you have the potential three-time MVP. He's already a two-time MVP, back to, excuse me, back-to-back MVP, current defending MVP, uh, Nikola Jokic, the Joker. Um, similar to what we talked about with the Mavericks as far as, a generational talent, that is certainly true of Jokic. Uh, the last three years, he's averaging uh, 26 points per game, 12 rebounds, 8.5 assists on some great percentages. Uh, consistent triple-double threat, but more than that, he makes the plays. He leads Denver on the floor, uh, but also does the scoring things, the rebounding things that you expect of your best player. He fills the middle, great size. He does everything that you need him to do. Um, but different, a little bit different than Dallas. Denver has a, a a little bit more stout of a supporting cast around Jokic. Um, you know the the coaching difference. It's this is no offense to Jason Kidd. He's been a productive head coach, and last year he certainly uh, quieted a lot of doubters as far as his head coaching acumen. Um, and so, kind of similar to with Michael Malone in the sense of they've had their regular season success. Michael Malone now at the helm could be a coach of the year candidate in the NBA this season. Uh, the playoff success is another question. Jason Kidd has had that in spurts. Uh, Michael Malone now in that kind of a, a a predicament as far as getting it done in the playoffs. Same thing for Jokic, but the supporting cast. Jamal Murray now back from injury, playing at a very good level. Um, it seems like he's back pretty much, you know, full strength. I mean, 20 points per game this season, six assists, four rebounds, uh, about a steal per game. Great percentages. He's doing what you'd expect that second star to do. Aaron Gordon is an overqualified, uh, you know, fourth guy in a sense, third or fourth guy alongside Michael Porter Jr. Those two, the forwards getting it done. Aaron Gordon, good, solid rebounding presence, defensively stout, putting up points. He's athletic. Great. I think he's a great fit alongside Jokic. Yeah, Michael Porter Jr., who's had injury troubles himself, but when he plays, uh, he's been a productive scorer, 17 points himself, uh, five rebounds, great size and length. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope has that veteran championship experience, uh, a little bit of defense there himself, about a steal and a half per game. And that starting lineup, I think that's, you know, that has all the ability to uh, make a run and, be in contention for a championship this season. Uh, their depth is great too. Of course, they recently added Reggie Jackson, uh, backup point guard. They have Bruce Brown who can play anywhere from it seems one through four, the way that they play uh, things in the modern NBA and his style of play. So he's a great, you know, versatile player. Jeff Green still has a lot of play left, versatile player forward. He's a bit older, but he's still got the athleticism. He can get things done. Uh, they have DeAndre Jordan and Thomas Bryant as backup centers. Thomas Bryant will likely get a little bit more run, but DeAndre Jordan is still there. So they've got good depth, not the greatest in the league, but they've got good depth. Um, 
you know, they also have Christian Braun, the rookie who's exceeded some expectations. Uh, Conchar, who's been, you know, a, a player who's had some moments as well. So the outlook is great. The, the question is now, as far as the outlook, this is a team that looks to contend. They're presumably the favorite in the Western Conference. Is this a team that will be able to make that next step? I think they've got the roster to be able to do it, but do they have the combination of experience, um, the mindset, and the uh, the scheme? You know those types of detail oriented things that push teams to the, the next level. Do they have what it takes to be the you know to go to the finals for the first time in that franchise's history and maybe even win a championship? That's the that's what the Nuggets future looks like. That's what they're pushing for. Um, if within the next season or two they fall well short of expectations, then you could see some bigger questions as far as do they retool the roster? Will they be able to build something around Jokic? You know, things of that nature. But right now, um, you know, they've had a little bit of playoff disappointment the last couple of years, but they haven't been fully healthy the last couple of years. Now, presumably, hopefully they have their full roster going into the playoffs. Can they contend this next year or two? It's all about them contending for championships. That's what I would say for the Nuggets. So great outlook, very promising outlook. Can they get it done? And if they're not able to get it done, what that looks like in the, in the next few years. So that's your outlook for the Nuggets. And the Nuggets are similarly to the Jazz, one of those teams that have one of the better winning percentages in the NBA, and you'd kind of you you might not realize it, um, but they've had some great runs, great team success. Um, of course, twenty thirteen through two thousand three, that was kind of the Carmelo Anthony era. A few of those years without Carmelo Anthony, but they were you know the George Carl years, and they were consistent playoff team. Uh, first round exits every one of those years, except for 09. They had Chauncey Billups alongside uh, Carmelo Anthony. Kenyon Martin, I think, was still a part of that team. Um, let's see. Yeah, Kenyon Martin, uh, Nene, Chris Anderson, and they made it to the conference finals against the Lakers, who would go on to win the championship, of course. Um, so they had a great run then. In the 90s, they had some pretty thin years. Um especially 98, they were 11 and 71. That was a tough, a tough year for them in the ABA and early years of the NBA. They were, they had great teams, of course. Um, but the, one of the forgotten runs or maybe not forgotten, but the, the eighties nuggets, high scoring teams, one of the, the biggest high, highest scoring pace teams we've seen, but also competitive in the playoffs. Uh, they had a stretch 83 through 88 it was semifinals first round conference finals conference semis uh first round conference semis i mean they were consistently a contending type of team and i want to talk about the best team from that run the 85 denver nuggets 1985 denver nuggets they were 52 and 30 first in the midwest their head coach was doug moe a longtime head coach uh his his win total is uh, hanging in the rafters uh, in the uh, the Nuggets Arena Ball Arena uh, to honor him as their maybe their best head coach in their franchise's history, um, and yeah, conference finals they lost in five games to the Lakers, but this was this was you know if it wasn't going to be the Lakers, it could have been the Nuggets, and uh, 
that's kind of what we're going to recognize this team for. It starts with Alex English. He fits the mold we talked about with Mark Aguirre, with Adrian Dantley, with Bernard King, that same blend of forwards. But he was maybe the best of those guys. Arguably, you can compare him and Bernard King as far as uh, 80s forwards, small forwards, high-scoring forwards who weren't really shooters, but they were scorers. And Alex English this season, 28 points per game, nearly six rebounds, four assists, and a steal. Um, Hard to do too much better than that. One of the league's best players during the 80s. He was the league's leading scorer during the whole period of the 80s. So uh, truly one of the underrated players. He was joined by Calvin Nett. Uh, I can't blame you if you weren't familiar with Calvin Nett, but he was an all-star in his own right this season. Averaged 23 points per game along with eight rebounds, three assists. Uh, perfect compliment and a, a, a complimentary scorer to Alex English, Calvin Nett, power forward on that squad. Both of them about the same height, Nat a little bit undersized then at that power forward, but they, they're a great uh, scoring tandem. You then had uh, Fat Lever at the point guard, one of the original triple, triple threat uh, guys, uh, points, rebounds, and assists. Um, later on in his career, he would be an all-star himself, averaging closer to 19 points per game, nine rebounds, eight assists. Uh, but 85, he was, he was really coming into his own as that type of a player. He averaged about 13 points per game, five rebounds, seven and a half assists. Uh, and one of his better steals uh, averages two and a half steals per game. He was a defensive, st- a defensively stout player along with the all round game. Uh, the, Guard alongside him, uh, Fat Lever, of course, the point guard, the uh, shooting guard, T.R. Dunn. And this is your lockdown defensive presence to support those guys. A lot of those guys, uh, scorers, uh, Fat Lever, great defender. You had T.R. Dunn alongside him, uh, 6'4 shooting guard. His averages don't look great. I mean, just, you know, five or six points a game, about five rebounds, one of the better rebounding guards, uh, especially in the early 80s. Uh, but then defensively, almost two steals a game this season, and he was a three-time all-defensive player. So he was going to be able to – him and Fat Lever could defensively make up for maybe what Alex English and Calvin Nett didn't always do, even though they weren't bad defenders. Uh, and then the starting center, Wayne Cooper, uh, a little bit undersized, 6'10", 210, uh, 220. But he, uh, again, was a very solid center great uh shot blocker especially this season and the season next 86 two and a half blocks per game this season 12 points eight rebounds uh so he he's a, a solid serviceable starting center you have dan issel uh a legend in his own right coming off the bench his last season uh playing professional basketball and he was still productive about 13 points a game four rebounds two assists um Center, power forward, in-betweener guy, could stretch the floor. Nice veteran presence and a a great, you know, six-man coming off the bench. You have Bill Hanslick, who is sort of similar to Fat Lever. Uh, he's a small forward, 6'7", but he could do a bit of everything. Uh, about eight points a game, two and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, a steal per game. Uh, could fit a lot, fill a lot of roles for this Nuggets squad. Uh, you get into the deeper bench, Elston Turner, Mike Evans. I'll be 100% honest, I don't know a ton about these guys. I know that Mike Evans played as far back as the uh, – oh, 
well, no, maybe not. No, he played. He didn't play in the ABA. I don't know why I was thinking he did, but he was a longtime point guard, a, a, a journeyman point guard, just kind of a solid point guard presence. Uh, well, kind of a tweener guard. Elson Turner, uh, small forward who could score a little bit. Not too much to say there. Danny Shays, of course, the son of Dolph Shays, um, a serviceable center in his own right, a starter for a long time in Denver uh, soon after the season. So they've got a great roster, great depth. Of course, Alex English, one of the all-time great scorers, and he steps that up similar to what we saw with Mark Aguirre in the, the 88 playoffs. Alex English averaged about 30 points a game, six and a half rebounds, four and a half assists in the playoffs, uh, doing what he could to elevate this Nugget squad. Uh, Calvin Nat scoring his usual average alongside him. Fat Lever, uh, six and a half rebounds, eight and a half assists, stepping up those numbers in the playoffs as well. Um, yeah, TR Dunn doing his thing. I mean, it was a, a great mix. I like the, the kind of the identity of the squad. I like their high scoring reputation. In fact, I believe this would have been that year that they were in the highest scoring game in NBA history. Let me go ahead and double check that for you. Um, ooh, it's close. Um, no, they were in some of the higher scoring games. That other, I think it was 83, um, the 83 team was in that highest scoring game. Let me double check that. Uh, some ludicrous scores. People forget how high scoring the uh, NBA of the 80s was. There it is. Uh, it was the 84 season, so the season prior, early in that season, triple overtime, 184 to 186 loss. Uh to Detroit at home. Unbelievable scoring. So yeah, this, but this was still very much in that vein. I mean, they had five or six games where they averaged, where they scored 140 points or more. Uh, they won five of those six and they, um, yeah, the high scoring team identity, but they had some solid, solid defenders alongside it. They could have. I, I think this team could have won a championship, some version of it in the '80s. Uh, just existed during a time of the Lakers, the Celtics, the Sixers, and even at moments the Rockets. Later on, the Pistons. You know, there just wasn't room for this Nuggets squad to to slip in and and find their way to a title. But a great team, nonetheless, wanted to acknowledge what they were able to do. Um, we talked about the ABA teams before that. And I wanted to talk about for, for today's uh, this franchise focus, our, our notable player. I want to talk about Ralph Simpson and no, we're not talking Ralph Sampson. Uh, interesting. Uh, of course, Ralph Sampson, a great center power forward for the Houston Rockets during that twin towers era, led them helped lead them to the NBA finals against the uh, Boston Celtics. They did lose that finals, but it was still a good team. He was a, a collegiate legend at Virginia. We're not talking about Ralph Sampson. That might be for another time. We're talking Ralph Simpson. Uh, you think O.J. Simpson, but not O.J. Simpson either. Ralph Simpson, who played in the ABA much of his career and his most productive years in the ABA with the Denver, Rock, Denver Rockets, as they were originally known, uh, originally known, later on, of course, becoming the Denver Nuggets. And um, he was one of the best players in the ABA. There's no other way to put that. Five-time All-Star in the ABA, uh, three-time All-ABA player. Um, 
Of course, the last of those All-Star games, 1976, he technically made it simply because he was on the Denver Nuggets. In a weird note, that last season, it was the ABA All-Stars versus the Denver Nuggets. But he would have been an All-Star even if he wasn't on the Nuggets. Uh, And he was, again, one of the league's all-time best players. In his second season, 1972, he averaged 27 points per game, uh, about five rebounds per game and three assists per game. Uh, just before they were tracking steals and blocks. We don't have those numbers. I imagine they would have been great too. Overall, his six seasons with the Denver franchise in the ABA, 20 points per game, uh, four and a half rebounds, four assists, 1.7 steals, uh, and some pretty good percentages. Not really a three-point shooter, but he could hit the mid-range shot very well. Think of him as a progenitor to the Michael Jordan style play. And obviously Michael Jordan far and away a much better player than Ralph Simpson was. Um, but he fit that mold and especially the defensive ability, getting a steal, going out on the break and not just getting a score, but throwing it down. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't know that extent of his game until just today. I was getting this uh, pulled together for the bonus episode, looked into you know some YouTube highlights and saw a clip of him in that ABA All-Star game I mentioned, the the Nuggets versus the All-Stars, and he got a good number of steals or you know passes in the break, going out on the break and throwing it down. It looks like okay, he's going up for a layup, and then suddenly he's dunking it, and it was it was pretty awesome to see. Um, great athletic ability uh, for his size, six five, two hundred, good size, but even better athletic ability to go along with it. Um, and in those later years, became a secondary scorer to, to David Thompson, who had been recently drafted and added to that Nuggets franchise. So he became a secondary scorer and more of a, a distributor and a, a playmaker. He averaged about seven assists in that final season, five and a half rebounds, 18 points per game, still adding the scoring, but was willing to concede that spotlight to David Thompson. And that team could have gone on to win that ABA championship lost, of course, to the Nets that we mentioned uh, on a previous iteration of the franchise focus. So just a tremendous player. Um, Not too much more you can say about him. Interestingly enough, he joins the NBA in 76 with the uh, Detroit Pistons. His play drops off. I mean, 11 points per game, two and a half rebounds, 2.3 assists. Um, never really got much higher than that. He rejoined Denver in 78 for a little bit of time. Um, never was quite that same player he was in the ABA. And so it's very easy for people to dismiss him as um, an inflated product of the ABA. Um, wasn't, the, you know, was not the same level of player as the, the NBA's great players. Um, I would disagree with that. I think that's a, a bit of a fallacy, you know, there's any number of reasons, you know, we're not aware of simply that he could have been, he wasn't as productive in Detroit and in the NBA as a whole. One I can give give to you straight away, he only averaged 20 minutes per game in Detroit, uh, still averaging 11 points, two and a half rebounds, 2.3 assists in those 20 minutes. So that's a factor co- to consider. Uh, if he was in a place where he was, you know, thrust into a starting role, perhaps his numbers would have been better, perhaps not. It's hard to say, but, um, you know, I think there's too much evidence of great level of play in the ABA or, or great players. Not all of the league was commensurate to the NBA. That would be um, disingenuous as well. But you look at, you know, the cream of the crop or at least the 
you know, bulk of the ABA, you discount maybe a handful of players on the teams on the league's worst teams. You can discount some of those players. Um, but on the whole, about 80, the best 80 to 85% of the ABA, I would say would be pretty comparable to the NBA of that time uh, in all honesty. And so to discredit his career as simply a byproduct of ABA and a lesser league, I think would be, would, would not be true. You know, he was a great player regardless of league, you know, his, his Denver squad, the very next year, their first year in the NBA would go on to be uh, immediately competitive in the playoffs. They went uh, within the first two years, they were in the conference semifinals and then the conference finals in 78 versus the supersonics. They were immediately viable as an NBA franchise. Um, And so it was not, you know, an inferior league. It was much closer to the, you know, NFL AFL comparison where the AFL teams were able to beat NFL teams in those first Super Bowls. So um, anyways, I'll, I'll wrap that up there. A great player, Ralph Simpson, a forgotten player, but certainly a Nuggets legend in his own right. Um, but with that being said, that takes care of our franchise focus for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, of course, they started as the Denver Rockets, but the Denver Nuggets, um, you know, great franchise. But want to thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back either with our normal uh, weekly show the next time you listen to us or we'll be back with a, a bonus episode. Depends on when you listen to this. But uh, thanks again for listening and we'll be back with you soon.